Merkel Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blow his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. yep. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to the Confessionals Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's contact at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way it works for me, just get a hold of me. If you want more shows on a weekly basis, we got you covered. Every Thursday, we come out with a members-only show on the website and on the members-exclusive app. You also get the Tuesday shows ad-free and access to overtime episodes when they're available. If all that good, good sounds good to you, go ahead and check it out at theconfessionalspodcast.com slash join. Also, friends, Merkel Media Films is a very real thing. Exhibition Dogman is available, and so is The Shape of Shadows exclusively on Merkel.media. And we are getting ready to release our third documentary in the coming months. We are editing and producing it right now, and it's going to be a heater. It is the best documentary we've shot yet, and I promise you, you're going to love it. And there are going to be some familiar faces on there that you're just absolutely going to love. So stay tuned for that coming here in a couple months. All right, today we have Karen coming on the show, and Karen is somebody who's been dealing with the abduction phenomenon her entire life, but it's not one of those situations where she was abducted, but that's really all her memory holds. She remembers a lot of details, and it spills over to her real life where she'd be pregnant, and then all of a sudden she's not pregnant anymore, and the doctors have documentation saying she's pregnant, but there's no medical signs that she was ever pregnant. And so these things have been taking the fetuses out of her womb to do God knows what with. Well, we venture into that conversation as to what could possibly be going on. So let's get to this conversation with Karen right now. All right, today we have Karen Wilkinson on the show. Karen, how are you? 
I am great, Tony. It's so great to be here with you. How are you today? I'm doing just fine, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, you and I just got done chopping it up because we're both <laughs> former Pottstown residents, and I was just like, holy cow. You know what's funny, too, is that uh, you told me that you lived in Pottstown, and you know that's where I had just moved from to come to Tennessee, and uh, we were talking about that, but I didn't think to tell you this. So my buddy, Sam Tripley, at the Tinfoil Hat Podcast. Yeah. Oh, he, yeah, I'll be with him in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Yeah, yeah he... He actually uh, has been doing shows a couple times now in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. I saw that. And I'm so mad like, at him. No. I texted him. I said, dude, like, <laughs> I, I used to live in Pottstown. You never came to Pottstown. Now, now that I moved away, you're going to do his Pottstown shows. Like, you know, and I'm like, why is he going to Pottstown, too? I'm it, like, it, what's the draw? It, it, well, I mean, I, he comes here to Austin a lot, but... Yeah, yeah, I mean, th th I guess there's different comedy clubs around the Philadelphia yeah. area, you know? But anyways, yeah. I just... I, it's such a small world. I mean, and even like, you know, you work very closely with L.A. Marzulli, obviously, and uh, he, he's from Southeast Pennsylvania. And so it's just, yeah. it's wild, but. Like you're, we all come from the same place and then we just scattered. Yeah. And then we're like, you know what? I think we're going to move away from Southeast Pennsylvania. <laughs> so uh, it's a little colder there. So, you know, very, but, but Hey, not this week, this week, yesterday morning, I woke up, it was negative two degrees outside here in Tennessee. And I called and I had a heater issue. I woke up, my house was 59 degrees. I was freezing. Oh no! And, and you know, I, I had a furnace issue and I didn't, I was trying to fix it. I couldn't figure it out. So I called my old neighbor in Pottstown because he's an HVAC guy and he's walking me through and he said, man, it's 14 degrees here. It's colder where you're at than where, than it is here in Pennsylvania. I was like, you got to oh, be kidding crazy. me. Yeah. So anyway, it was like 14 degrees here in Texas the other day. Wow. And trust me, no one knows what to do in the cold here. No, you just like, you stay home. Everything's canceled. Yeah. Just, you know, cuddle right. up underneath covers, drink as much exactly. hot cocoa. So <laughs> fire in the fireplace, it's 70 <laughs> degrees today. So we're, we're past it now, but we, we had winter for two days and it's over. now it's over. And it's enough. That's enough. <laughs> so enough. before we go off on nonsense again uh let's get yep. into the topic at hand uh you are the author of stolen seed evil harvest and yes. this book is a book that we are going to talk about now so that you can let people know where they can find it where they can get it uh and then we're going to talk about what the book's about because the book is based off of your life your experiences where you've dealt with abduction scenarios but it's not just that you're dealing you i don't I don't know how many times you've dealt with this, but we're going to get into it today. But it, it involves, you know, basically stealing your seed. You were pregnant and then you were unpregnant. And uh, yes. it, 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 there's a whole thing behind it. And we're going to get into it today. But before we get into your story, your testimony of how this all unfolded for your life, uh, let people know about the book and where they can get it. Sure. Yeah, the book is called Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. And it is my true account of my lifelong experiences as a former UFO abductee, um, being abducted by non-human entities since as early as I can remember. The book is available exclusively at lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Um, L.A. Marzulli, L.A. Marzulli.net. Most of, uh, I think your listeners know him. You had him on recently on the show. So, um, and you can find um, links to that through my website, which is my name, KarenWilkinsonAuthor.com. And it's Karen with an I. Um, and I'll give you all of that for the show notes so people don't have to try to spell it, figure it out. 
Um, you can find me on social media at Facebook at my name, Karen Wilkinson, and on Instagram at Karen Wilkinson Author. Um, and uh, you can send me a message also through my website if someone wants to get in touch with me, especially after you listen to this. If you really want to reach out, talk about your experiences, um, just know you're not alone. There is a section of my website where you can reach out to me as well. That's awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, letting people know where they can find your stuff. Um, I was made aware of you in February, almost a year ago now, February 2023 at uh, BlurryCon. I was there as a speaker and you came up to me, introduced yourself to me. And ever since then, I've been wanting to get you on the show and it's just been a hit and miss kind of thing. So I'm, I'm a year later, we're finally arriving to the table and I'm really glad to hear there. Uh, that we're going to get this done. So um, without any further ado, I'd like for you to just kind of start from the beginning, whether it's like your childhood of you know, going through things or uh, a revelation that you started having memories of things going happen to you. Uh, how did this all kind of unfold to where it's at today? Sure. It's funny because you and I, yeah, we met at BlurryCon and it was right about that time. I think it might've even been during that conference. I can't remember for sure that LA Marzulli and I were talking because the movie had already come out and um, decided that I should write this down. I should, you know, because there was so much more to what has happened to me. Um, I have always had these memories. This is not something that came out because of hypnosis or that I just suddenly remembered out of the blue. This is something that's been with me my whole life. It's just not something I ever thought I would speak about, let alone be able to deal with or speak about in public. Um, but I had a near-death experience in about six years ago that maybe seven years, six years ago, that was very, was amazing. But at the same time, the process leading up to it was extremely um, difficult. So I had some PTSD therapy after that to deal with how it had happened. And in doing that, it gave me the tools to be able to manage these memories and the things that had happened to me as well, that I had just really been stuffing down and pushing aside and you know, trying to live one life here and another life with all these things that have been happening. Um, so that was really the crux of how it started. At that point, once I was able to deal with it um, better, um, I felt a really strong leading and to share this with someone and God just put that on my heart so strong. Um, I renewed my faith at that point. I learned how to stop the abductions God put it on my heart that I needed to share that information. And I'm like, okay, God, well, where do I do that? Because you don't see a lot of Christian slash UFO um, anywhere. You don't see the two in the same conversation, especially then. Um, more so now, it's you know coming out more and more. But God led me to L.A. Marzulli. It was crazy how it happened. It was unexpected. Um, I sat down with him for an interview. Uh, never thought I would share that story. And um, it became the tent pole for his fourth movie on the UFO abduction phenomenon, which is what I initially spoke with you about. Um, and from there, I started talking to people and everyone wanted to talk about what's happened to them, what, what to do, their, their, their um, experiences. And um, so I felt a very, very strong leading by the Holy Spirit to write this. And, you know, when God tells you to do something, you do it. And uh, I remember praying, going, God, 
I don't know how to write a book. What do I do? And I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me, you just go write the truth. It's going to be there. And so I just sat down and I wrote the truth. And that ended up being this book, Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. Um, the book is not only about my lifelong experiences, but it also is about how all of this connects back into the biblical truth. So it's also a journey of how to not only understand what's happening from a biblical perspective, but how to stop it and how to stop it in your life for good. Um, and it's, it's something that I hope will allow us to have more conversations about this because it's such a taboo subject. No one wants to talk about it. There are people out there who say, those of us who have these memories, and there are many, many of us who absolutely have these memories, who never needed to go to hypnotherapy. We just remember. Um, but we're, you know, people are afraid to talk about it. And I want to make it okay to have those conversations and to be able to deal with it and for people to learn how to stop it. So that's kind of how we got to where we are today. Um, and the book has just been a real blessing for me because I just get to talk to people and I get to meet people and let people know they're not alone and help people figure out how to stop these abductions, these unwanted, heinous abductions. Wow. Uh, so the, it, so it seems like this kind of all started coming to head six, seven years ago when you had the NDE. Uh, yes. the, the NDE, was that something that was on the level of like, I died, went to heaven, saw Jesus or, or how, or was it like you, you died, but you, they brought you back and you don't have a memory of what happened on the other side? Um, so when I had the NDE, I was getting ready for surgery. I was going in for surgery and I had two IV ports in, one in each arm, but I was not hooked up to any machines or IVs or anything yet. And they took me into the operating room and they weren't quite ready for me. So I'm actually in the operating room. There's two nurses there. My doctor wasn't quite ready. And an anesthesiologist came in and she leaned over me. She had a white lab coat on. I don't know what her name was. And her pocket was full of syringes. She pulled one of those syringes out and pushed it into my IV port. And I assumed it was um, just something to calm me down, you know, just a nice sedative they give you before surgery. It was a paralytic. She turned and walked away and left me there to die. And um, I was paralyzed. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I couldn't gesture for help. I couldn't do anything. And as I lay there dying, drowning, it was like drowning in cement. It was, uh, it was terrifying. And that's why I needed the PTSD therapy. But I heard an audible, an audible voice in my head that, and it didn't sound like my voice. It had a very distinct voice in my head said, it's okay. You can let go now. And in the blink of an eye, in an instant, I was out of my body and I was watching everything. I could hear and see everything, not just in the operating room, but in the adjoining rooms. Um, I was still me. I still had my personality, but I felt the most incredible love and peace. We don't have any way to describe it here. That we don't have anything like it. It was just what the Bible says, peace beyond understanding. That is exactly what it was. It was so amazing. Um, I was at peace and I just felt a complete all-encompassing love. And I watched everyone um, in the room. I watched when the nurses finally realized I was dead. I had no sense of time passing. 
Um, you know, I didn't have a physical body, but I could still see, I could still hear. I was still me. I still had my personality. Um, I watched them realize that I wasn't breathing. And one of the nurses kind of freaked out and the other one ran and got the doctor and he came running out yelling, bag her, bag her. And they put a, you know, the bag thing on my face to try to force air into my lungs. And as they tried to resuscitate me, eventually they intubated me. And once they intubated me, then everything just went black. But I never left that space. It's like I knew I was supposed to stay right there close to my body, close to my physical body. There was never a question that I was going to go anywhere else. I just, I know it's hard to describe, but I knew I was just supposed to stay right there and just watch and just wait. And that as soon as it was time, I was supposed to go back into my body, that it wasn't time for me to leave yet. And it was never a question that I was going to live or die. So that was the kind of the turning point for me. It brought on a renewal of my faith. It brought on, you know, an ability to start to be able to learn how to manage these really difficult things that had happened in my life. Um, the other really cool thing about the near-death experience was, and in the book, I call it a near-life experience because it was closer to life than death. It was the most life I've ever felt. I felt more alive in those moments. And I don't even know how long it was than I felt ever. Um, coming out of the surgery, usually, and I have a lot of surgeries, I, I, would, I will wake up in, in, um, in the recovery room and there'll be one or two nurses taking care of half a dozen patients or so who are just coming out of, out of anesthesia. This time I woke up and there were about six doctors and nurses standing around my bed um, I had just dozens and dozens of wires and tubes and things coming off of me. And, and um, as soon as I woke up, I just started screaming in pain. And um, I guess my blood pressure and everything was going up so high, they kept having to put me back under. And after about four hours of trying to bring me out of anesthesia, I remember waking up screaming in pain and then thinking, Heavenly Father, please help me. Either take me back or help me through this because I don't know how to wake up. And all of a sudden I just felt peace. And I looked up and there were these two uh, young male orderlies standing at the foot of the bed. They were wearing scrubs, but they didn't have any um, name tags or anything on. And they put their hands on my calf, my leg, the bottom of my leg. And they just, I talked to them. I'm like, Oh, you look like you could be my sons. You're so sweet. Oh my goodness. And I just, talk to them and I didn't care about the pain and I wasn't, my blood pressure went down and everything was fine. And they went with me up through the elevator and down the hall of the room. And we get to the room and I grab my husband and my daughter-in-law's hands who were waiting for me outside the ICU room. And I'm like, you have to meet the boys. They, I don't think I would have gotten out of recovery if it wasn't for them. They were so sweet. They helped me so much. And they're like, okay, where are they? And they're right here at the foot of the bed. And I looked up and they were gone. And so I asked the nurse and the other orderly who were on either side of me, I said, where did the boys go? And she's like, honey, what boys are you talking about? And I said, the ones that were with us in the elevator and in the recovery room, and they were down the hall. And she said, honey, it's just been the two of us the whole time. I said, no, I was talking to them. They were here with me. She's like, oh, we wondered who you were talking to because you know, <laughs> I'm just talking away. And they didn't see them, just me. you know. And I felt like that was an in an angelic visit that, you know, that there are good angels out there that God can send. And 
they didn't take anything from me. They didn't hurt me. They helped me. They comforted me. And when I was fine, they were gone. And that is, to me, the definition of a benevolent being. Mm. You know, what they did was incredible and beautiful and just loving and peaceful. So that was an incredible experience. So while it was a difficult experience to start with, everything after that was just so amazing. So I was very grateful to have that. And it just started a chain of events that led me to this path where I realized there is a lot more to this. And, and uh, from there, I was able to stop the abductions and then start to share the information. Wow. So, I mean, you're very familiar with benevolent and malevolent spirits uh, and entities. And so uh, you, you could kind of speak on both ends of it. Uh, yes. And what's interesting is that how you just ended that where that allowed you to start talking about things, but stop the abduction. So you, what you're saying is that the abduction process for you is relatively recent when it, with it coming to an end. Uh, yes. And so it's not something that happened when you were a kid and stopped when you were, you know, 14 years old kind of thing is a short period of time. This is a long period of time. And, um, let's start unpacking some of the, the this stuff. Uh, you, you have this abduction, these abduction experiences. Uh, what was the first, what's the first memory you have when it comes to uh, being abducted? And what was that scenario and situation like? Because I, I imagine that it, it evolved over time. Uh, because if they were abducting you since you were a kid, I imagine they weren't impregnating you right away. So how did that whole, how did the whole first time start out for you and evolve? Yeah. You know, I was being abducted from as early as I can remember. I don't remember a time in my life where they weren't coming for me. And even before I remember the actual abduction scenarios, I remember the Nordic entities. These are what people, yeah, the um, alien, for lack of a better word, non-human entities that look somewhat human, but they are tall, generally very fair ha hair, fair skin. Their eyes are about twice the size of ours. Um, and when I was little, I was terrified of my father's side of the family. They were tall, blonde, fair haired, fair eyed, you know, thin, because they reminded me of these Nordic entities. And this is, you know, talking a two or three year old. So at that point, <clears throat> I was already very afraid of anything that reminded me of these entities, even though I wasn't remembering the actual being taken scenario. Um, when I started remembering being taken was about probably five years old, uh, four or five years old. And I just, you know, they would come for me at night and I always was looking for somewhere to hide, just some way to get away from them, to, for them not to find me, but they always found me. Um, typically it would be, a, I would wake up and I could just feel something in the room changed. I felt evil presence in the room, um, palpable. Just um, sometimes if I were in the country, like all the cicadas, if the window was open and the screen was in it, all the cicadas and crickets would get silent. Sometimes the cows in the barn would go crazy or sometimes they would just get silent. Um, sometimes there'd be a very bright light, but not every time. I don't remember that every time. doesn't mean it wasn't there. I just don't remember it every time. Um, and then there would be two, at least of these shorter 
gray, typical gray type alien entities um, somewhere in the room. Sometimes back in the corner, sometimes at the foot of the bed, sometimes beside the bed. Typical bulbous head, black screen eyes, um, very frail looking, um, very cold and emotionless entities. And um, as soon as I would notice them, I would just, the terror would just take over. And sometimes I would wet the bed as a little kid as soon as they showed up. Um, and they would do this thing where I couldn't move, where I'd be paralyzed, like sleep paralysis that my friend Vicki we were talking about. She's kind of an expert in that. But um, from that point, I would be levitated off the bed and get up to the ceiling or out a window and a closed window. And, you know, getting levitated up to the ceiling, I remember seeing every little detail, like the little curls in the wallpaper because my grandma's ceiling was wallpapered. And at the very edges, it was just, just a little bit brown and a little bit curled. And, you know, I always wondered why that happened. You know, and you, when things are like that are happening, your brain just takes you everywhere else it can go. So how many flies are in that light fixture that's hanging down? Or, you know, I'm right up to the screen and I can see every little square in the screen, which ones are bent, which ones are broken. You know, none of them are straight, which is funny. Um, and as I would get up to the screen or to the window or the ceiling, my body would just get this feeling over my whole body where it was almost like a vibration. It's hard to describe because I don't have anything here that does this, but it almost felt like my body went into a bazillion little pieces, almost like ball bearings. It just, I, and I would be going through a solid object, like a window or a ceiling, you know, and watching everything get further and further away. Um, at that point, um, most of the time I would be put into a sleep state once they got me out. Um, sometimes before that point as well, sometimes right away, especially if I was getting upset, they had this ability to just turn me off into sleep state. Um, and I would wake up different places. Sometimes I would wake up on an exam table and they would be doing different examination type things. And they never said what it was. Sometimes it was like big machinery type things that looked like maybe when you, know, you get an x-ray machine pulled over, if you've ever had that, or I don't know what these machines did. You know, there were needles that would go into my neck or my chest or different parts of my body. And sometimes they take blood and skin samples and counting my, you know, vertebrae or something, you know, touching all my back and just weird things, you know, no one ever said what it was. So it was always just random things. Um, and, um, sometimes I would wake up and often I would wake up in this, um, getting onto this elevators. They had these big, I don't know how we got to that point, but we'd get on these big elevators that went down and down and down. And then I would get on what, when I was little, I called the sideways elevators because everything to me that moved like a vehicle made noise back in the sixties and seventies, you know, cars weren't quiet. We didn't have electric cars or anything. We didn't have high speed rail. So I just felt like it was another elevator. It only had benches. So it had these bench seats I'd sit on and it was really cold. I remember that it was so cold. Um, I used to go to sleep holding my blanket really tight because I thought if they take me, if I can 
keep this blanket with me. I won't be as cold because I was always cold where they took me. It's terrible. Um, anyway, this is one of those weird details. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then that train would take me, you know, or whatever it was that vehicle, uh, would get off and then it would be into a one room or another, you know, sometimes into one room where there'd be other little kids, lots of little kids. Um, they had these big round tables in this one room. It was like a big room, like an oblong long room. And one side of it had a really big like window, which I'm assuming was some kind of observation window. Maybe they were watching us. I don't know. Um, again, no one tells you anything, you know, you're just there. You're like a lab rat getting thrown into whatever box they want you in that day. So, um, and sometimes um, I would be in a waiting room or sometimes I would just be kind of walking around with this guy that I called my handler. I refer to him as my handler in the book. There's this guy that was with me from the beginning, practically. I don't remember time when he wasn't around. He appeared as a man. He usually wore sort of military looking fatigues, um, boots with the pants tucked in kind of thing. I just always remember looking at that, you know, cause I was little so. um, and he was really tall. Um, just buzz cut hair, square jawed, very military-ish looking, you know, just like he could have been cut out of a magazine. Um, and he was with me my whole life and he walked, you know, when I would go there later in life, when, um, I would be dropped off into this kind of, there's this really big area and we're, we're on, it's underground, but it's the size, it's bigger than like a, uh, than a football stadium or an airport and all that. It's just massive. And there's lots of people being dropped off into this area and everyone's kind of going in different directions to different places where are being led to different places. I didn't pay too much attention because once I got there, I just, I knew where he was like, this guy didn't have a name. He had a, like an imprint. And I just, I always knew where he was and I knew who he was. And we just, we had like this weird connection. Like they didn't use names. So it's really hard to describe. Um, so when I would get there, I would just sense right where he was and just go straight to wherever he was. And then he would take me off to whatever we were doing that day. And you know, the evolution of it was as a child, you know, it was almost like being groomed to, you know, for what to do and what was going to happen and it and evolving. And, and I've talked to a lot of abductees who had this similar scenario where from the time they were little, that's what happened. And they had a person too, or he wasn't really a person. So I call him a person because he appeared that way, but he wasn't really a person. Um, but when I was little, I did try to talk about it. I tried to tell people it's not like this was just happening and I'm like, Oh, this is just fine. You know, I'm a kid and I'm going to put up with this. I was not putting up with it. You know, when, when these abductions were over, they would bring me back and I wouldn't usually remember being brought back, but I would wake up after being brought back usually right after sometimes. And I would go and sleep under my parents' bed or at the foot of their bed to try to hide. So they wouldn't come back. Um, sometimes I wake up without my pajamas. Sometimes my pajamas would be in another room. Sometimes I would be in another room. Sometimes they'd be on inside out. Um, 
you know, weird things that just didn't make sense. My parents couldn't understand what was going on or why I was sleeping under their bed every other night. Um, and um, I tried to tell, but I didn't have the vocabulary to explain to people who these things were and what they were doing. And I wasn't even sure what they were doing, right? So we didn't have the movies and books and podcasts and TV shows. You know, today you can't flip the channel without seeing a UFO show. But it wasn't that way back then, in the 60s. You know, it really wasn't. It was really the stuff of outside fringy kind of, I don't even know where you would find it back then, quite honestly. I'm sure it was out there. I just don't know where. Um, so I tried to talk about it. Um, and as I was trying to talk about it and nobody understood what I was talking about, they realized I was trying to talk about it. And so they, one night when they came to take me, they took me into the backyard of my parents, grandparents farm. And, um, I was, I was outside and, you know, the grass was wet from the dew. I was, I felt everything of being outside, but they showed me, (laughs) like a screen memory in front of me and it would be like wearing VR goggles would be today. But I also, back then we didn't have anything like that. So there was no way to explain or describe it until recently. Um, And they showed me my parents and all of my family, grandparents, parents, siblings being walked out in front of me. There was a clothesline going across the, um, across the yard and they all were walked out to the other side of that clothesline. And I was on one side, they were on the other and they, sprayed something on their necks on the backs and the fronts of their necks and they said if you continue to try to talk to people about this this is what's going to happen and they beheaded my family in front of me as a little kid and then they ended it and then i realized it wasn't real but you know that little i, I didn't know where to put that you know that just it, it kind of, that's, I think, a point where I kind of started to lose it. So then after that, shortly after that, um, they had to call my mom to the school because they just found me curled up in the corner of a bathroom stall, just rocking. You know, I just, and I kept saying, I, they need to leave me alone. They need to stop touching me. They need to leave me alone. They need to stop taking me. They didn't know what I was talking about. They thought maybe it was other kids at school were bothering me. So she took me to the doctors to see if I'd been abused. There were marks and strange, you know, I had a strange burn on my back and things like that that he couldn't explain. But he said, I was fine and whatever had happened to me because it was clear that things were happening, something, you know, I had something had happened. I would forget because I was young. And, um, that was the end of it. And at that point I realized there is nothing I could do. I was trapped. And so I think at that point as I made the choice to live this life and put that over here and kind of just compartmentalize and separate my life from that and disassociate with it as much as I could. And that's what I did from that point on. I just learned to dissociate from it. Um, Night times are horrible for me. My whole life of nighttime has been the worst. Couldn't look out a window at night. Couldn't, you know, just couldn't be alone at night. Couldn't go out, look out a window. Couldn't do anything like that because it just is too terrifying. Too terrifying. Sorry. Okay. I've gone on for a while. No, you're, Sorry. No, you're, any questions you're, no, you're absolutely fine. You're absolutely fine. And I, I want to kind of jump right back into this whole story with you. Okay. Um, but 
since I'm talking. Uh, it's incredible hearing you say that because uh, at the point of you having somebody tell you that this, whatever you're going through, you'll forget about, and you realizing nobody's coming to save you is the moment I imagine that on the other side, these beings were like, we got her, we have yep. her, because she has now um, submitted herself to the idea that, there, that, that this is just going to happen, and she has now accepted it. And so there, there's no more, there's nothing, there's no, there's no struggle now. And um, yeah. <clears throat> that's, a, that's a pivotal moment, I imagine, um, that in the moment you didn't realize how pivotal, pivotal it was. But, oh, no, yeah. but um, man, that's incredible. Uh, so at, at this point, you're going through this stuff. Uh, there's nobody to save you. There's nobody coming to save you. Uh, there's no help coming. Uh, what's the next step in this process then? Um, at, at what point are we, are they now turning this into, cause I mean, they're doing this abduction stuff, which by the way, uh, th this is stuff that I, me and Joel and other people have been looking into for a while. And this is like, when you say you went through your window, but the window didn't open, uh, that, that makes complete sense to me. Okay. I may not have the proper verbiage to describe it. I've never gone through it and I'm definitely not a, the researcher guy that, you know, it's like, oh, let me tell you what this phenomenon is. Uh, yeah. But, but the, the best I can say is from my perspective of talking with people, at some point before you went through that window, there is a, a, a dimensional shift that's happening. And, and your physical, but your physical body is no longer acting the way it's supposed to because you're not totally in this realm anymore. And exactly. Exactly. So that's how you view it too? Yeah, I do. Okay. Because you can feel the shift, you know, when and I think that's part of the reason they do the sleep paralysis, because it kind of gives them an opportunity to shift you into another dimensional. They can, you know, we're dealing these are beings who are so far advanced of us. You know, they're they can manipulate space, time, energy, and matter in ways that we can't even conceive of yet. You know, and the things they were doing then, oh, some of them are catching up, like the virtual reality type things, like the ectogenesis, the um, artificial wombs. Um, you know, there are things that they did then that seemed so fantastical. Who would believe me? But now we have those things. You know, the way they travel, the high-speed trains, the, the babies and the incubator type things. But, you know, so so all of this, you know, is it, it sounds so far out there, but there's too many of us have experienced this exact same thing. I mean, I probably have at least one new per at least one every day new person comes forward and says, I could have written that story. Thank you for writing that book. I know I'm not alone now. And that's why I did it. I mean, yeah. I don't want anyone to feel alone like I did for 50 years of my life. You know, I just, you, you need to be able to know that you're not alone and you're not crazy. 
Um, but yeah, I think that point, you know, I was about six years old. That's the point where I chose self-preservation over, over fighting because I didn't have the tools to fight them and I didn't have anyone to show me what those tools would be if they existed. So I chose self-preservation over fighting and, you know, it, because it damages your, you mentally so, so badly that if you don't separate it, there's just, I, I think it makes sense why some people just go completely bonkers, completely crazy. A lot of people who go through this, they live on the streets. They can never hold down a job. They can never hold down a relationship. They can never live a normal life. And I get it. I understand why, you know, it's, it can really turn your life inside out. And I'm blessed that that happened. Um, you know, I know that as a little kid, I knew about Jesus. I knew about God. I went, we went to church, but we didn't learn any of this stuff. We learned, we learned some Bible stories and we knew who Jesus was and we knew about holidays, you know, things that didn't really give me anything to work with. But there were some nights when I was little where I don't know why, but when I felt like I was at my end, I would sing the Jesus loves me song to myself. And I felt like, you know, that must have helped because somewhere along the way, God gave me that ability to continue on. And that, that was all God, you know, cause I'm just, I was very weak. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> but yeah, so it was, it's definitely a, as a, a dicey situation for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, did you have any questions before I go on? No, or? Go ahead. Go, continue. Okay. It's okay. fine. <laughs> So after that, the, um, the relationship changed with my handler as I came into maturity and it became a physical relationship. Um, we, I was got to the point where I was just so used to being taken. Um, and the underground, these facilities, I know they were underground cause we were going down in an elevators. Um, they, um, and there weren't, you know, there was no windows to the outside or anything like that. We would walk around and the, one of the things that struck me the most was that there were humans working alongside these different entities. Um, and you know, I was not allowed to talk to the other people who were there and they were not allowed to talk to me. There were clearly abductees and then there were clearly employees or workers there you know um some of the humans had on like lab coats like doctor coats type things or scientisty coats or whatever and i didn't know what they did because i couldn't talk to them some looked like they were military and some of them had these really um benign um kind of beige uh kind of a gray beige um smock type top and bottom like skirt pants sets on they were really benign um and I don't know, some of them could have been non-human. I don't know. But um, I always, you know, I often wondered why these people were there letting this happen. And um, when then I found out the hard way, I write about it in the book. When I get to this part in the book, I tell people that, you know, I warn people that if you're not comfortable with this type of thing, you might want to skip this part. So I will, I will do this on a very high level with you. Um, they utilized me and other people like me, which I watched 
to, they would abuse us in front of the people working and utilize that to warn the people there that if you speak out about anything, if you, if you don't obey the rules that have been, you know, we've set down, you don't want this to happen to your wives, your daughters, your sisters, your friends, your family, your loved ones, you know, and part of what we were used for was the propaganda to keep people quiet. I don't think the humans working there knew what they were getting into. And, you know, if you think about it, think about if you had a job and they're like, yeah, you're doing so great. We're going to put you on this next project. It's high security, top secret clearance, you know, got to sign these NDAs. And then by the time you're there, you've already signed everything and signed off on everything. There's nothing you can do. And I understand these people protecting themselves and their families. I do. I, I don't like it, but I understand it. And as a parent, I'll do anything to protect my children. I get that. I get that. So, you know, I had a lot of anger for a long time that no one protected me. But now I realize God protected me that whole time because at any point in time I could have died. And I didn't. I'm still here. And then God gave me beauty for ashes. He gave me some, turned this around to use it for something good. So there's that, you know, I mean, I really try hard to find the good in, in, in what came from it, you know, from a bad situation. So that was really difficult. Um, and, um, after that, well, after I got married, um, I get pregnant right away, not on purpose. We weren't trying, but it wasn't unusual for me to get pregnant. And I went to the doctor and the pregnancy was verified. I was very excited. Um, you know, had a couple of doctor visits, uh, my prenatal vitamins, doing all the right things. And one night I woke up and I, I wasn't feeling good. Um, I didn't lose anything. You know, it's not like I was bleeding heavily or anything like that. I didn't have anything come out of me. Um, but it hurt so bad. So we went to the emergency room. <laughs> And uh, they test, of course, when you go in there to make sure you know, you're pregnant. And I was testing positive. And they did an Doppler thing and they couldn't find a heartbeat. So then they did an ultrasound and they couldn't see a baby. And they were like, ma'am, are you sure you were pregnant? And I'm like, yeah, and you can call my doctor. And at that point, you know, they're doing the blood test to make sure as well. And so they did a DNC, which is where they go clean out the inside of your uterus to see what happened and to identify why maybe you had a miscarriage or take out what's in there so you don't get sick from it. And there was nothing. There was no fetal tissue. There was nothing in my uterus. It was clean. And that's, that it made no sense. They're like, they were baffled. They were baffled. And I was too. And I was, I was traumatized because I didn't get to mourn the loss of that baby. I didn't get to know if it was a boy or a girl. I didn't get to memorialize it in any way it was just gone and that happened over and over again um no one could explain why there were times when they went in all so far as to go up and look in my uh, fallopian tubes because they're well maybe it's a tubal pregnancy because you're clearly still pregnant <laughs> you know but there's nothing there um and uh one one time they took me and uh took me um into the facility, the underground facility, and took me to a part of the facility I'd never been to before. 
and we're walking down this hallway and these facilities are very darkly lit there. It's almost like a red, blue, dark light. Some areas are more of a violet blue. Else they feel lighter because the walls are like a light white color, but this hallway was very darkly lit. Um, I almost feel like it was red backlit. And along the walls were these rows and rows and rows of what looked like aquariums in a fish store, kind of, and all the way up to the ceiling. And in them were what looked like fetuses. And I couldn't tell if they were human or animal or what. Some of them very much looked human. They were clearly at different stages. Um, and at either end of this hallway and on either side, there were there was a door. And so they took me down to the one on the right-hand side and opened that door. And it was the size of kind of a big closet. And there was a woman in there. And she was pretending to give birth, almost like a ritual kind of thing. It was freaky as all get out. I could say a lot of words there, but I won't. Um, and I'm looking at that like, what is going on? And I turn around and this entity, there's two of them there, uh, maybe more. I do remember one of them was like a Nordic and one of them looked like a was a gray. There's different kinds of grays. And I can talk about these entities because I haven't discussed them yet. But it was like a taller gray. It almost looked female. It had female characteristics. It felt female to me. There's a lot of what you feel and perceive going on when you're with them. Um, and uh, she handed me, it handed me a baby. And it was very small and very red, almost reddish purplish. And it had a very big head compared to what my babies are. Babies do usually come out with a pretty big head, but still um, really big eyes um, and dark eyes, like black. Um, and they told me it was a good baby and to hold my baby. Told me it was my baby. So I took this baby and I held it up to me and it didn't respond. It didn't, it was alive, but it didn't respond to me. It didn't cuddle into me. It didn't respond to me. It didn't react to me. You know, I'm, I have my own children. And when they're babies, when I hold them, they just like become one with me when I held them. You know, no matter where I was holding them, they just cuddled right into me. It was awesome. The most wonderful feeling in the world. This baby didn't respond. And I got really upset. I'm like, what's wrong with this baby? You know, and I'm real. I'm, I'm getting visibly upset. And the, and the other woman in the room, she's getting upset with me. Like I'm doing something wrong. And I'm like, you know, stay out of it, first of all. But, you know, I'm just like freaking out because the whole thing, nothing makes sense when you're there. You know what I mean? It's just, you just, you can't think clearly. Um, and so I'm really upset. And so they come and they come to take the baby back away from me. Um, and I don't want to let it go. I'm like. I'm, I'm taking this baby home. This is my baby. If there's something wrong with it, then I'm going to figure out how to fix it, you know, and which that was not a possibility. They weren't allowing that. And at that point, they switched me off and I woke up back in my room and just hysterical, upset because I wanted that baby so bad. And for years, I, I wanted, if those babies were alive, I wanted them. I wanted to see them. As a mother, I wanted to see if I could fix them. I wanted to love them. 
Um, and I've spoken with so many other women who, you know, since this has come out, I've done a, spoken with a lot of people and done a lot of research into what's happened to me, if it's happened to other people, and it has. So many women have felt that exact same way, and we feel guilty about it. We really do, because we know we're not really supposed to feel that way based on what we know is going on. But I didn't care. I wanted those babies. I prayed about it. I prayed to God every night. I want those babies. And I woke up one night and um, middle of the night, probably about three in the morning. Seems to always happen at three. Um, and woke up to what I thought was my kids standing by the bed. Now, my kids are grown at this point, but there's always a couple of them here. It seems like not always, but mostly. And at that point, there were a few of them here. And I have a lot of kids that call me mom who aren't mine, but I woke up and saw the faces, recognized them as my kids, hit my husband and said, hey, I said his name. I don't know. At first I said, hey, what's wrong? And then I hit my husband and said, hey, you know, something's wrong. And my husband doesn't respond. He's like out cold. My husband wakes up the second I, you know, if I just poke him, he'll wake up. So he didn't move. And I, and I look back over, I'm like, what's wrong? And then I realize as my eyes are adjusting, because it's dark, that because I said one of my kids' names and I said, so-and-so, what's wrong? And then I realized, oh, that's not him. That's not them. And there were three of them. They, I could see resemblance. I could see that they were mine. But their skin was almost a... It was hard to tell, but it looked like a blue color. But it could have been the dark making it that. It could have been like white and it just made it look blue because it was so dark. Their eyes looked black. They had hooded, um, like hoodies, almost sweatshirt type things on because there was a hood. But I couldn't see what the, you know, if it was like a specific type of whatever they were wearing for top, it had a hood. And um, I was like, I was so excited. I was like, oh my gosh, it's you, it's you. I, Are you okay? And I just felt this evil hit me like a wall of water. And I'm like, what's wrong? And they're like, you have to come with us. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm not gonna. You know, at this point, I'd already stopped the abductions. I'm like, no, I'm not coming with you you have to come with us. No, I'm not coming with you. And they're just, they kept repeating, come with us, come with us. I'm like, no, I'm not coming with you. And I was shocked because I expected to feel love. I expected to feel connection. Um, I expected something, you know, I can see my kids, like when they're been in the military, the ones have across a crowded field with a thousand other kids in uniform and I can see mine and I can lock eyes with him and I can feel that love, you know, and he's not even, you know, and, and some of them aren't even my birth children. They just adopted, right. It doesn't matter. That love is there and you feel it. Oh, I didn't feel it. All I felt was evil from them. It was, it was palpable. It was like looking at a rattlesnake about to strike. It was just, and um, they just kept repeating this and it, it was mind speak. It wasn't verbal come with us, come with us. And I'm like, no. And then I said, just habitually almost, but I said, no, in Jesus name, no. And as soon as I said the name of Jesus, poof, they went, they were gone. And in that same second, my husband shot up in bed 
It was like, what? As if I had just that second, you know, tried to wake him up. Like that time in between didn't happen for him. And I'm like, now you're up. Now you wake up. You know? And I was just like, you're not going to believe what just happened. You know, and I told him what happened, you know, and that's when I'm like, I've got to talk to someone. And that really was then what that was kind of the final straw. That's when I'm like, I've got to talk to somebody. And that's when God led me to LA Marzulli. So. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That's a lot. (laughs) No, it, it definitely is a lot. I mean, it's, um, your experience draws out a very complex scenario that people are going through. And uh, it's something that traditionally w- within the last, like you said, the NDA, the NDE was six, seven years ago. Well, six, seven years ago, people weren't ready to talk about this stuff and, and understand it like they are today. And um, <clears throat> I think uh I think I'm really glad that you're you're coming forward to share this stuff, you know, and talk about it, putting it in the book for people to kind of go over and digest and and things like that. Uh, these these beings that are that that were taking you, actually, let me rewind here. You the 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 abductions have stopped. The abductions have stopped because you discovered how to stop it. I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. So have you had an experience, do you have experiences where there's attempts and you stop it or do they have, to, or have they just completely stopped now? No, oh, no, they, they still try. Hmm. They've still tried. And with the help of my friend, Vicki Joy Anderson, I've learned how to break covenant thresholds and uh, threshold covenants, sorry, and different kinds of covenants and things that I didn't know had been made on my behalf or that I had made. And so they will come up to my window but they can't come in mm-hmm. or they will approach me in an astral realm. And I know how to close that down and stop it. Um, there's all different kinds of ways that they've, they've attempted to still try to take me. They'll still try to from outside the house, levitate me off the bed. And if they can, you know, get me out or get me to agree when I'm asleep or groggy, so I pray before I go to sleep that God protects me that if they come, you know, out in the night that I won't, you know, make any agreements that I, you know, that I'm covered, that I'm protected. I pray a hedge of protection around me and all of my friends and family members and loved ones and people like you that I meet. I mean, I just try to cover it all because mm-hmm. they're very tricky. They're very deceptive. And, but the thing that I learned with all of this was that, you know, these entities, yes, they're, they're very highly advanced much more advanced than we are. They've been around a lot longer than we have. But they have the same creator that we have. They answer to the same creator God that we have. They have to abide by the same rules that we have to abide by in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. And by having the same creator, if I call on God, if I call on Jesus and ask for them to be to stop in his name because I've been given that authority through me from my creator. I don't have the authority, but God does. Then they have to obey that. And once I realized that and realized that in my heart 
I only had to think it. You know, it's not like I had to stand there with a cross and throw holy water on them or something like that. No, that's not it at all. I don't have to go to a specific church. I don't have to believe a specific way. I have to know in my heart and understand who my creator is, who their creator is, how that hierarchy works, and that God wants me to be safe and protected from them. Mm -hmm. And I just have to call on him for that in my heart, in my head, with my voice, however I do it. He's there. He hears me. And God is there to protect me. And if something happens now, it's only because God's allowing that to happen for me to be able to close down maybe more um, doorways that I've opened that I didn't realize I've opened. I've had things like that happen where I'm like, God, why did that happen? To show you that you opened this doorway and you need to go close it. Or to show you that you made this agreement and now you need to nullify that. Things like that. So it's been a crazy journey because... The attacks have been, once I started to try to talk about this, it was before all of this stuff has happened in the recent years. It kind of lined up with 2017, which is weird because that's when the New York Times article came out. But I didn't know about that because I wouldn't look at or read or get involved with anything that said alien or UFO. I couldn't because I was just too triggered. I could, didn't have the tools to deal with it. I hadn't been through therapy yet. So I didn't even know that happened. <laughs> <laughs> until wow. after, until probably about the time I met you. And I'm finally looking into it going, oh, wow, they're starting to talk about it. But I knew I had to talk about it. And I think God puts things on different people's hearts at the same time for, you know, his reasons and his timing. So it all, it, the way it lined up is just the way it lined up. And, and God meant for me to do this at this time in my life and at this time in our lives for whatever his reasons are. And I have to abide by that. Yeah. But, um, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that and for bringing the people he did, people like you, people like LA. I mean, you know, the, the people and the coincidences and the things that have happened, that doesn't just happen. You know, I don't just meet some random guy who lived where I lived for all those years in a place most people don't know exists, you know? Right. <laughs> That's crazy, right? It's, That's it's just, wild. It's wild. Yeah, it is. It is. So, uh, I mean, I, so I think, um, I think the timing is everything, you know, uh, yeah, I yeah. even, even with me, I mean, uh, the, the origins of this podcast was not just me wanting a hobby. I was commissioned to do this podcast. Uh, yes. I was called, I was told by God that this was going to happen. And he put people in my path that he told me he would to get it started. Uh, and so it, 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 there was so much confirmation along the way that I was supposed to do this at a specific time. And I didn't understand it back then. I didn't understand why I was I was being told to do this paranormal podcast. Um, I, I didn't know much of anything outside of the topic of Bigfoot. Uh, that's that was my only real interest back then. Uh, but I was like, I'm going to do it, and we'll see where it goes. And we saw where it went. But I, yeah. looking back, I can see why I was put in the position I was in, and I'm in now. And uh, it is timing. Timing's everything. I've come across people over the last seven years of this podcast that um, are not Christians. They do not uh, believe what I believe, but they do know. It's not a matter of belief or think. They know that the name of Jesus stops demonic attacks. They know it. Yeah. They put it into practice. They don't believe in Jesus, yeah. but they use the name of Jesus for their own benefit. And that kind of goes back to what you said about how like, the belief thing is like, you, you you don't have to believe a certain Christian denominational way for the name of Jesus to work. Right. Like 
and and that that just takes me back to this phrase that I used to say all the time back in the day, which is just Jesus is for everybody. And it's it's um it's a very simple way of thinking, but uh, when it comes to the spiritual realm, it's it's very factual in my mind. Uh, these these experiences that you've had uh, traditionally, people think about you know alien abduction as these intergalactic travelers coming and you know, picking us up and taking us up into space on their ship and doing funky, weird sexual stuff to us and then dropping us back off and saying, thanks, off to the next planet. Uh, right. That's the traditional way. I think we're migrating past that. And I think we're starting to migrate past that. Uh, we've been actually here on the confessionals migrating past that consistently over the last two, three years. Uh, but the more information you brought up to the 2017 release, uh, uh, the more information that comes out through our own government, the more I think the audience, and I mean, I mean audience as a whole, not necessarily people that listen to my show, but just the general public, uh, I think the more they're getting to the point of acceptance. And, and the, the fact is this, like people can, people can get frustrated that, you know, it's like, oh, I don't listen to the mainstream media. This, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, a lot of people do. A lot of people do, and they, the for whatever reason, this disclosure is filled with truths and half truths, and we can compare notes based off of what we know through what we've discovered through talking with people like yourself. And so, when the government's coming out and saying that these things have always been here, they're interdimensional. Uh, well, we can do we can cross reference that off of what the list of things that we have come to know. We're like, yeah, that's actually true. So why are they talking about it? Uh, but the the good thing in that, I think, is that the general public is being disclosed to information that they wouldn't come to the confessionals for. And it's going to open up this broader audience for people to hear stories like yourself and consume that information and be forced to deal with it. I think that we're in a great awakening as hum- humanity comes. Uh, into the perspective, uh, a great awakening, but also a, a, a people are going to be put in this situation where they have to put up or shut up kind of thing. They have to decide what they believe. They're like, oh, I don't know. There is no, I don't know anymore. We're getting to the point yeah. where I don't know is not an acceptable answer for your own personal well-being. You have to decide exactly. what you believe because the, these weirdos like me come along and we say these things. But now your own governments are coming along saying these things. So you have to make a decision as to what you believe and what you think about these things. And it's forcing people to, th- to actually think about it. Uh, and I think it's a good thing. So yes. on that little whatever I just did there, I do want to ask you um, what your personal beliefs are when it comes to why, the big why. We see in your story alone, and we've seen this through many people's stories, that there is human interaction with these people during abductions. There's clearly a, uh, a cooperation between these entities and human beings that I think in itself, people need to start coming to terms with. The fact that people are transcending realms, dimensions, that like they, they are not, these people who are in the know and doing this stuff are not just necessarily going to a bunker underground. There, there are interdimensional shifts happening here and there's a real human element in co- of cooperation in play. So with that said, 
what is the why here? Why do you think this is happening? Yeah, that's a great question. There are a couple of different whys because you have to look at it from the point of view of who are these entities and why are they doing what they're doing? And then why are humans working with them? I'm not talking about the people that get roped into doing it, but the people who agreed to bring people in on it in the first place. And I think we have a couple of different um, scenarios to deal with at the same time there. Um, not to get too biblical on it, but you know, I think we're we're going back to the back to the garden, back to the seed war, back to the initial deception, and we're still dealing with deception. Um, this the seed war that started in Genesis three um, to try to keep Jesus from being born, then you know, I think has continued on from then to just try to corrupt the bloodlines of man so that we don't have, as your friend, our friend Tim Alberino says, the birthright to, you know, to the, to this land and to this place. But there is uh, Dr. The late Dr. Chuck Missler used to say, uh, Satan's outnumbered two to one. He's building an army. And I think that's part of what he's doing as well. I mean, a Satanist, or a fallen angelic being is going to know the Bible better than any Christian you'll ever meet. They know that backwards and forwards and they know their time. And, um, Eleni Marzulli likes to point out how, when Jesus was casting the demons out of the, uh, man and they into the pigs in the Bible and the, the demons said, you know, we are legion. Why have you come for us before the appointed time? That means they know that there's an appointed time that they're come for their judgment. And there's trying to prepare for that and trying to prepare to win a battle. And if they can't stop Jesus from being born anymore, then I think at least they can stop as many people from finding salvation and from following the truth as possible. And I really believe that that's a huge part of what's going on here. Um, as far as taking people, you know, this hybridization program where they're trying to create these hybrid alien humans, if they can get something that fits into the public and looks as human as you or me, then that's someone who's going to be able to lead people away from truth. Someone who's going to be able to help parrot the agreed upon narrative that, that, that deceives people, you know, and the Bible tells us there will be a deception, a great deception so much that even the most elect would be deceived. Um, so, you know, and that's a part of an army. When you're trying to defeat someone, you're going to build an army and have different people in different sections to do different tasks. And so there are going to be a lot of different things that need to be done on the side of evil to combat the good that there is in this world, because there's a lot of good in this world and a lot of good people in this world. Even though it doesn't always feel that way, <laughs> you know, there are. I mean, I think our government got involved way back when, even before the Granada Treaty, um, which uh, some people are familiar with, the Eisenhower Treaty, some people call it. Um, the Majestic 12 was there around that time. And, you know, ever since then, our government kept saying, no, we don't have these programs. No, we're not involved. No, we don't investigate, study UFOs. But now they say they do. You know, so we know we can't trust anything that they say. We know we can't trust what the truth is from the lies from them. We have to rely on discernment and we have to rely on getting our facts from people who've had actual experience in these things, people who've been around these entities who know what what's happening because um, the government's not going to share that. And if they were to share that, they would have to admit to the fact that they've been allowing people to be um, 
to be taken, to be abused, and to even be killed on at the hands of these entities. And that they are they were a willing party to that. Because in the spiritual realm, there are agreements that must be made in order for certain things to happen. Satan can't just jump in and do what he wants. If you look at the book of Job, God's like, okay, you can do everything up to this point. He's given permission. Those permissions have to come from somewhere. And I really think our government gave them the permissions to take us and do experiments on us and on the animals. Look at the cattle mutilations, you know. So, you know, there, there are a lot of different pieces at work here when it comes to what's going on and why. I believe these entities are fallen. Um, you know, it's, the Bible tells us when Satan fell, he took a third of these angelic beings with them. What do we know about these angelic beings? Very little, very little. But they're all throughout our Bible. They're far more advanced than we are. They've been around a lot longer than we are. And that fits exactly what I've seen with these beings that I've encountered. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree on a lot of that. I, I think that it's a, it's a real, um, it's simple, but it's complex, if that makes any yeah. sense. Like, like, it's simple in the sense of, you know, when, when you say it out loud, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. But to get to the point of saying it out loud, you're like, hmm. This is complex. <laughs> <You know? laughs> if that right. makes any sense whatsoever, right. uh, no, it does. It does. But I, I, mean, I, it's as simple as good and evil. You know, good and evil is simple, but at the same time, it's extremely complex because evil yeah. doesn't walk up and say, "Hey, I'm the bad guy." Evil is deceptive. You know, someone doesn't come up to rob you and they don't walk around with a big T-shirt that says, "Hey, I'm a felon and I'm carrying a gun and I'm looking for people to rob today." Right? You know, it doesn't work that way. And it's the same with these entities as well. So, but I can say, you know, there are a lot of people who say these are benevolent space brothers. That that uh, space brothers was a term coined by George Adamski in the 1950s. Um, and uh, there, you know, I can say. I can't agree, get on board with that when they're abducting little children and planting little kids with devices, tracking devices, when they're raping men and women, they're stealing fetuses, when they're killing innocent cows and other animals and people. There haven't just been cattle mutilations. Other animals are mutilated and people. You don't hear reports about that, but it has happened to people as well. Yeah. So, you know, that's not the actions of a benevolent uh, ancestral cedar. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. If they're so benevolent, they could come sit down with us, share information and knowledge and have a conversation, but that's not what's happening. Yeah. It's not what's happening at all. And, and, and to be honest, I mean, some of, some of the people's experiences, they would say that that is happening to them, that, they, that these things are, you know, sitting down and speaking with them and stuff. But, it, but to me, in my perspective, uh, the idea of deception needs to be really contemplated hard with some of these experiences people are having. Uh, and they are, they are building an army. They are. And we have uh, stories that, you know, of people talking about interdimensional realms and going through physical operations in these other realms. Uh, I'm going to be releasing a story this year that uh, talks about a guy who was operated in another realm and he was operated on by Nephilim and angels. And 
when when you say just angels, but next to F- Nephilim, I think I know what angels were talking about. They're not the ones that Jesus sent, you know, to protect us. And so, uh, right. I, right. I, I think uh, I think we're falling right back in line with what we were just talking about—the fallen angels and and the 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 battle that's com- that is coming. Uh, they they right. are in their right. mind trying to upgrade humans to be able to fight this war on their side. And there is a permission, exactly. there is a permission that it has to be given. There is a recruitment process. And if you say yes, you are now being initiated into this. And uh, exactly. there are there are a lot of people who say no. A lot of people who say no that you wouldn't expect that would say no. Uh, and then there's people that say yes. I'm also noticing yeah, that, that they you are. Yeah, wouldn't expect would say yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm learning that they're coming. They are not always, but a lot, like, like disproportionately. They come for children, and why is that? Oh yes, children exactly. are more uh, manipulatable. You know, right. uh, they they you can get them to say yes a lot easier. Oh yeah, it's like training. You know, if you train mm. a puppy when it's little, it's going to retain that knowledge, and and just because it's constant repetition, and children are groomed and trafficked every day for all kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. This is just another example of that. It's no different than. You know the things we see these movies about and stuff. It's just happening in a different, with different entities in a different way. And some people may have these positive experiences. Um, often, I find when I listen to people who say they have positive experiences, they're also making excuses for all the negative experiences they've also had. Mm. So the positive ones kind of make up for that. And I've experienced that. You know, I had a lot of Stockholm syndrome towards my handler. I was willing to accept the one positive thing that would happen amidst every two dozen bad things that happened and make excuses for a certain amount of time. Um, They don't do anything that's not for their own greater good. So you may feel like you're getting this physical upgrade and that's them being benevolent space brothers. When in reality, what's happening is you're now no longer capable of dying. And we know from the Bible, there's the verse that, and I don't have it in front of me to quote the verse, but that says, you know, they will long for death and death will flee from them. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's to come in our future. And I think we're getting to that point now, um, you know, with humans 2.0. If you look that up, you'll see all kinds of articles about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think we're in a really dangerous place where discernment is more important than ever. Um and, uh, you know, people are going to be be betrayed and tricked by these entities. And I hope that people like you and people like me can continue to get the message out and warn people about what's really happening. But you can't force people to believe it. Um, so, you know, all we can do is share what we know and pray that people wake up to the truth. You know, I'm really glad that, uh, that I heard you say that. You can't force people to believe it because so many times in these conversations with people, uh, you know, say you, a person like yourself who's gone through things and you're on a life mission now to educate and tell the world your experience and to enlighten people, um, to people who do research and they want to share with the world what they've learned and they believe it passionately, just like you believe what you believe passionately. And there's a lot of times that there's people then that take it from there to, um, you have to believe this. You have to. And it's like, well, you, you can't, you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make a drink. And 
And you will drive yourself mad if you get so caught up in getting everybody to believe what you are saying. I think your approach is very accurate. It, It just needs to be something where you're willing to speak. And once you do your job, which is to speak, your job's over. And we, we, it's not it's not your job to make people believe your story, believe that that these beings are real, that they're abducting people. You opened your mouth, you shared your story, you're letting the world know what's going on, and it's their job to come to the table then and decide if they're going to eat that food or not. And so, uh, I, I, it's really actually encouraging to hear you say that because um, I try to. I, I, a lot of times in private, I don't talk about it, talk to people. Uh, publicly a lot about that stuff. But like when I hear people get very emotionally in their, their bag on, you know, why, you know, this, that, and it's like, listen, man, like it's not our job. Just like when it comes to like the whole salvation process, like that's what I'm so laid back by it. Like I I don't like, I care, I care, but I don't care in the sense that it's not my job to save people in their souls. Like it's my job just to be who I am publicly as a Christian. And, uh, you know, exactly. it's between them and God at the end of the day. Right. So it's your job. It's our job to just show who we are and what we are, but not, I'm not here to force my belief system on anyone. I'm not here to hit anyone over the head with my Bible. That's not me. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm here to accept everyone for who and what and where they are right at this moment. Because I mean, I, I just want to approach everyone with love and kindness and pray that they will respond that way. Hmm. You know, I mean, and that's what the Bible tells us to do, not to come at people with fire and brimstone and say, Hey, you've got to believe my way. That doesn't, that that doesn't register with me at all. Um, If we can't be kind and loving to one another, then, then we're not definitely not doing it right. I hear you. I hear you. So before, before we get out of here, uh, let people know again, since it's been uh, over an hour of a conversation here, let them know where they can get this book because uh, it's packed with information of your experiences, and I highly suggest people get their hands on this so that they can further understand this stuff. I mean, th- th- that's what this show's about. The show's about having people on, sharing their experiences, and together, from those experiences shared, we learn how this stuff operates. I mean, you're talking to somebody who has never set out to research a specific topic. All I do is hit record, I talk with people, and I draw conclusions over time after hearing things over and over again as to how I personally feel this stuff works. And so uh, it's a, it's a, I hear people like Joe Rogan say, you can't trust a human experience uh, because of whatever, trauma or whatever. I don't agree with that at all. Uh, and I think that the human lived experience is one of the, the most uh, useful tools we have to understanding what's going on around us. Uh, so with that said, people will have that opportunity with your book. So where can they find it again? Yes, thank you. No, and I appreciate this platform that you offer too, because you do a lot more than just talk to people about this stuff. I mean, you're, <laughs> the work you're doing is amazing. And we need more people like you so that there are safe places for everyone to learn and share information. Um, so this is amazing and incredibly helpful. Thank you again. Um, you can find the book. The book is Stolen Seed, Evil Harvest. You can find it exclusively at lamarzuli.net. So that's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. Um, and go to the store tab. 
I have links to that in my website and on my social media. The website is my name, KarenWilkinsonAuthor.com. It's Karen with an I, Wilkinson with eyes. Um, and you can find me on Facebook, my name, Karen Wilkinson, and on Instagram at Karen Wilkinson Author. I will, I don't know when this show will be out, but at the end of January, I'll be in Lubbock, uh, Texas with L.A. Marzulli um, at the uh, Lubbock Fellowship for a long weekend presentations and, and uh, book signings and talking with people. And then again, in end of February, beginning of March, we'll be in Orlando at the Prophecy Watchers Conference. So if you want to meet up, you want to talk, you want to share your stories, you can find me at those two places. And I'll be all throughout the year at different places. Too many to mention, but I'll have those on my website. Uh, chances are, if LA is going to be there, we'll probably be following along, helping with the book table. So <laughs> we're there. Or um, So if you have any questions, you can reach out to me on my website. There is a page for to contact me, and I will get back to you. Sometimes it takes a while because I get a lot of messages, but I do promise you I will read your message and do my very best to get back to you if you, if you reach out. Yes. Uh, well, while you're in Orlando, head south, head to Miami and see if you can find any mall monsters for me and report back. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I will get right on that. I'm always <laughs> looking to run up on a Nephilim when I'm out in public. So hey, you know, know, bring your... Bring, bring, I, <laughs> <laughs> I know you got one of those Nephilim blasters that you keep in your backpack. So, uh, Oh, yeah. It's called the Bible. I yeah. keep it with me everywhere I go. So. Yeah, I did. So see, that's that canon for you. Uh, right, yes. I love it. So I appreciate you being on and uh, having this conversation with me and I hope people enjoyed it. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Tony. God bless you. Keep doing what you're doing. I pray all the love and success and happiness in the world for you and your family. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it. That's the best thing you can do to help the show grow. Share the show. Also, go ahead and check us out on social media. I don't talk about it a whole lot, but we've been very active on social media. And if you haven't been seeing it, maybe you're missing out on some stuff that you get some chuckles out of. I don't know. But go ahead and follow us on all social media platforms, especially Instagram, Facebook, X, and I don't know, TikTok. Go ahead and follow us on those platforms if you're there. And until next Tuesday, friends, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. Do I live in a glass house or am I the last out? I'm going to spaz out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't look at a pizza, Mother Teresa, get hypesthesia, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can't go back to the moon. And UFOs are Yeah, yeah.